0: Welcome to the Future Tech edition of the Finding Genius Podcast. Forget frequently asked questions, forget common sense, common knowledge, or Googling for information. How about advice from a genius in their field instead? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are the geniuses of their profession. Richard has made it his life's mission to interview the geniuses of their fields in areas such as AI, 3D printing, quantum computing, blockchain and Bitcoin and more. Don't miss out on amazing podcasts with geniuses. Review us on iTunes or wherever you listen and go to futuretech.findinggeniuspodcast.com and subscribe today.
1: Good morning, good afternoon or good evening, depending on where you are calling in from or listening in the world. This is Tracy Murda with the Future Tech Podcast. Today I have a very exciting guest. I am extremely thrilled to have Jamie Burke, CEO and founder of Outlier Ventures. Jamie, thank you so much for giving us your time today.
2: Hi there, it's a pleasure.
1: So Outlier Ventures is obviously based in London. Um you're a blockchain VC firm. Uh first of all, what time is it there for you? Are you really joining us at an awkward time for yourself? <laughs> No, no, no. It's 5.35
2: in the afternoon or or early evening, depending on how you want to look at it.
1: Oh, perfect. Perfect. Well, for this evening on your schedule, um, why don't we start off talking a little bit about just I want to know about your background in the, the blockchain, you know, cryptocurrency world. Um, I've read a little bit about it, but and I have some obvious questions to to ask as follow up. But why don't you give the listeners um, a little bit of info or bio on yourself?
2: Sure. Well, so the the short sto- the, the short story is that um, Outlaw Ventures is is about five years old now, and um, I, I set it up after becoming convinced that distributed ledger technology these kind of scarce assets um, with the advent of of Bitcoin digitally digital scarcity and then smart contracts were as a kind of emerging set of tools going to fundamentally change uh, the web, both in terms of how it's structured with the cloud and uh, these kind of platforms um, and and then subsequently society as a whole so uh, I kind of came across Bitcoin initially in doing some research for an investment I was making. I was an angel investor at that time and uh, I was looking at a a peer-to-peer lending company and that kind of led me to do some research into different kind of peer-to-peer technologies that might enable this startup. Um, And that's when I came across across Bitcoin. So that's probably just over uh, five years ago. Uh, And then I Went to the first Bitcoin conference uh, in London and, and kind of saw this interesting, weird mix of people um, that were the the kind of early evangelists. And I, I kind of, when I was looking at both the, the kind of participants in the space and the technology, there seemed to be a bit of a disconnect. It was um, very libertarian in outlook, um, and you know the. There didn't seem to be that many people that had much experience working with institutions and large organizations. There seemed to be a lot of idealism about how this technology might might be adopted. And so my background had, prior to being an angel investor, I'd um, ran and then eventually set up a consulting firms focused on digital innovation and change management. So. I spent far too long working with um, incumbents and large enterprise on both trying to understand technology and emerging technologies, and then adapt, and often failing to adapt. So when I kind of saw this this emergent technology stack, um, having had that experience across multiple different industries, um, I guess I, I took a bit more of a pragmatic viewpoint that there were some things that would definitely be adopted that could be disruptive and in some cases transformative, but that how that would evolve um, would be very different to how many people at the time in that early community uh, viewed it.
1: Jimmy, what was it that kept maybe not your interest, but when you first uh, started out as far as staying away from you know focusing on the the tokenized networks, what was it that you know made you look for the use cases instead? I mean, everyone else was going after the, you know, the tokens, of course.
2: Yeah, well, the token part actually came a bit later in the journey. So, you know, initially, when I kind of committed to the space, you know, so five years ago, when I said um, I was going to commit pretty much my every waking hour and, and every uh, penny, as we'd say here, or I guess dime in the US, um, to this space, I I knew that it would be a long cycle, and I actually set aside about three years worth of capital um, for myself and a co-founder that I brought on board, a CTO called Aaron Van Amos, and a small development team to kind of just get some applied learning. And, and I don't think anybody at, at that time knew how long this would take, what shape or form um, it, would, it would kind of manifest in when it moved away from kind of concepts into impacting the real world. So, for the first probably three years of that, um the focus was very much in quite a conventional approach, looking at companies, startups that were trying to build on top of or leverage blockchain technology to build proprietary business models and it was only really after about three years, you know at that point we'd spoken to I think there's about one thousand five hundred blockchain startups from Kenya to Japan um, across every different type of use case, which at that time, you know, lots of people were very excited about the theoretical applications. And, you know, they still are multifold. The, the problem at that point was that the infrastructure, and, and still to this day, the infrastructure um, wasn't there. And so actually, um, for some of the early time, it was even pre-Ethereum and so everyone was trying to build these proprietary business models and and we kind of looked at all these different sectors and applications and different geographies and we became increasingly convinced that most of those weren't viable uh, some of them at all and uh, most of them within the next five to ten years because of all this infrastructure that needed to be built and so uh, i actually did a blog post which at the time became quite infamous called 99% of blockchain startups are bullshit and that was really oriented to the fact that you know we saw all these people trying to raise money for startups to build up the application layer and uh, they just weren't viable because the infrastructure was missing but then as we started to kind of think through well what would what business models are viable would be viable um we became increasingly uncomfortable with the idea that in an open, decentralized web, where people were building on largely the same open source code base and infrastructure, that people would be able to build startups on top of that, that would be able to build a moat in kind of startup parlance or you know, would, would be able to build a, a defensible, proprietary business model. because. In theory, everybody had access to the same technology. The characteristics of that technology meant that um, industries would become more open, data would become more open. And so there seemed to be a disconnect with proprietary business models building on open source technologies that,
0: that ultimately
2: would mean, even if you could do something that was unique, the assumption was the barrier to somebody coming and copying what you're doing and doing it cheaper. Would be too low. And so, in theory, everything would become very commoditized. Um, Certainly, if you were applying these old world principles of the platform. And so, um, it was at that point uh, we were kind of coming into the beginning of the ICO boom um, a couple of years ago. And I I think that's largely because the wider industry, certainly investors, realized the same thing. They'd sunk at that point a couple of hundred million. into these proprietary businesses, nobody was making any money. Um, uh, often, they were kind of hemorrhaging uh, investments and capital, and so they they stopped getting finance. And um, so, startups, almost out of desperation to try and find money, turned to the ICO um, as a way to raise money from the community, um, but potentially also allowing them to kind of open source the code base And so. Almost by accident or, or fortune um, a business model emerged for open source which was tokenization and that's principally because people like me stopped giving money to startups that were building proprietary businesses and then all of a sudden every startup that we spoke to 90 percent of startups um, were all uh, nonprofit organizations and they were they were tokenized or tokenizing and so that was a huge huge shift, um, where no longer were people investing in equity, they're investing in tokens. And I got really excited about that. I think, um, obviously, the whole ICO phenomena went too far. The the incentives were misaligned for investors. um, And it was often just this recycling of capital. But the principle that there could be a business model for open source that people could raise as much money, uh, if not more by tokenizing an open source project than doing something in a proprietary way was really exciting because, you know, if you've invested in the startup space for a long time, you'll know 90% of conventional startups fail uh, in their first two to three years. So it's a really, and when they fail, all codes lost, the knowledge dissipates, the team leave. um, And so 90%, almost 90% of capital that was going into financing this proprietary business model was being wasted, which is you know billions of venture and angel capital, whilst if that capital was able to go into open source, the financing of open source networks, then um, what that would mean is that even if an individual team failed to execute, that the code would still be out there. People could take it, um, they could fork it, they could reapply it, and so um, it became almost uh, biological in nature where you kind of could evolve a code base and try different mutations and see which business model worked or um, which configuration of governance model worked. Um, and so that that promised to build a much more efficient, effective, resilient um, startup ecosystem.
1: So let's talk about, I want to know who you're looking at now in terms of, or maybe kind of even along the way, the trail, um, the types of of decentralized businesses that Outlier is looking at. What makes a a good candidate for you?
2: Yes, it's really varied. And I I wouldn't say, you know, we have, it's such an evolving space and it's orders of magnitude more complex than traditional startup investing. So, you know, on the one layer, you're investing in digital economies and, you know, a digital economy is much more complex um, than a startup. Um, because it's in 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 principle so decentralised, it has so many different stakeholders that need to participate in it, um, and because it's rooted in open source, um, you know the the idea that it could be more fluid, users could move more fluidly um, into competing um, ecosystems or economies. So. You know, on the one hand, it's an economy and you have to look at it as a market, uh, and a capital market, um, as well as kind of a commodities market, because the, the digital good or service is, that's being delivered is, is more like a commodity. Um, but then alongside that, you have the governance of that. You know, so how is that economy governed um, in the beginning and uh, you know, how might it migrate or evolve? So uh, should it be more centralized in the beginning and then should it kind of... Um, dissolve into the network and have increasing levels of decentralization. You then have the technical complexity to that, which is, you know, this is all new stuff, or at least new combinations of stuff. And so almost with every solution, you find a new problem. Because effectively, we are reconfiguring uh, the Internet, um, both in terms of the cloud, um, a more decentralized alternative to the cloud, and then the platform, which is the inherent business model of the internet today so you know you've got business model innovation entirely new unproven business models you have the complexity of governance the kind of rate of technical innovation um and then you know the good old problems of people and founders and are these the right people to execute this kind of uh, mission or project um so uh, and then the regulatory component actually which which i can't believe i almost forgot but yeah, you know, a lot of projects are spending millions just to in legal fees just to be able to bring a token to market. And even when they do, um, they have had to have got comfortable with a degree of regulatory ambiguity and operating in a, in a gray zone. So it's incredibly complex. And so as a consequence, it makes it very difficult to passively um, make bets and, and make investments. Which is why Outlier Ventures is geared much more towards very active involvement in our investments. So, you know, most VCs, I mean, even actually in our space, most VCs are a handful of people, you know, deploying um, tens hundreds of millions of capital normally. Um, It could still be a handful of people. Um, And, uh, you know, each individual partner might make anything from 10 to 20 investments. Um, And so really it's a game of numbers there you know you make the assumption that 90 percent will fail maybe 1 will be a unicorn um, and that's how you get a return on the fund we, we've we kind of taken a different approach which is because of the complexity involved in making investments for all the things that I just listed we believe we need to, to have greater proximity to a project there is an advisor a board member um, or Uh, which is more ideal, where we are kind of the lead advisor and we're actually helping them make technical decisions in the early days. We're helping them design their token economy. We're helping them think through their governance model, um, their pathway to decentralization. We are involving our corporate ecosystem very early in validating is this even a a problem that um, a customer has right now? Um, How do they prioritize that problem? And so what we're doing is we're, we're... De-risking our investment by sweat, and so that's why we've got over thirty people compared to a, a traditional handful. Um, it's why we have departments with an outlier that specialise within certain things. It's why we've got probably ten analysts, and all they do is track the different variables from the markets generally, understanding the, the technology and the technology layers. Um, and you know, we we have an active competency to help in token design, so we were the first fund that I know of to hire a head of crypto economics specifically to build out a competency. And then alongside that, even once you design designed for a network and you've launched it, um, that's just the beginning. Uh, you know, if you think about Bitcoin, it's a 10 year cycle to where it is now. Um, if you think about any protocol like, um, uh, you know, DNS or HTTP or, you know, these things that are universally adopted, across the web and the internet, um, they often work in these 10-year cycles. And so really our focus is on uh, this kind of post-care of the listing around the diffusion of the innovation. So we're gonna spend $30 million worth of our own capital over the next three years just in supporting our projects and helping their innovations diffuse. So we have DevCon where we invite uh, all of our investments and we've begun to develop them into what we refer to as a stack so rather than perceiving them as this portfolio this passive portfolio we've we've begun to only invest in projects that reinforce our previous investments now to many investors that's kind of in a typical VC world you're looking for ideally uncorrelated investments um so you can just, you can spread the risk um, but we believe so much in our thesis that we Maybe correlates investment. But the benefit to that is with every investment that we make, they um, uh, hopefully accelerate the other investments. and so we have a technical team that directly integrates the technologies of our investments um, in order that they are able to be adopted in combination um, uh, by typically enterprise. and so we refer to this as a stack, the convergent stack, and uh, we refer to what we do as venture as a stack rather than
1: a portfolio. So it sounds like, I mean, you do, you really have an incredible just support and service of your your platform as a whole. I mean, it, it sounds incredibly secure. Where was that? I mean, what was the obvious importance? Of course, I understand, but I mean, it seems like you really have gone out and above beyond what anyone else has done in that space, as far as you know, just monitoring and, and thinking ahead, and you know, having all these extra persons who have the experience or expertise in these certain fields what was it that made it so important to you to have that edge well you know i'd like
2: to say it was all part of the plan but um it it really wasn't
1: never you know we've
2: yeah you know we as i said we've been involved in space we were the first dedicated blockchain fund in europe you know maybe one of the first in the world um and we've just been through the different cycles and with each cycle You know, we learn a little bit more about space and we realize that if we're going to deploy capital in the space, then there are things that we could do to de-risk that investment. And I guess the driver for that has been that we're also slightly unusual in that we are a partnership. So all the capital that is deployed by Outlier is the capital of the partners. So most funds are GPLPs, the GPs, you know, two, three, four, five people get paid to manage the money of the LPs and often they only get paid if they're deploying that capital. And so, um, you know, they want to deploy as much of that capital as possible, as quickly as possible. Um, and they have to manage that with, you know, this model of finding a couple of unicorns in there um, that, that uh, cover, the, cover the losses of the large majority that will fail. And, and that's okay if you're managing other people's money. But when it's your own money, um, then, you know, those decisions, you're a bit more careful. And what we realized was is that we didn't want to be more careful. We wanted to take risky, big, bold bets. Um, but to do that, the only way we could do it is by de-risking them. So the rest, the you know, they are still inherently risky, but we believed over time there were things we could do to mitigate that risk. Now the model's still not proven, um, but we're definitely we're definitely the only project that has reinvested pretty much all of our gains over the last five years. We've reinvested almost every every uh, cent uh, or penny back into the platform, back into new deals. So you know we're really we have a thesis. We believe if we're right, that we would have been able to invest in potentially twenty protocols that will form. It will become universal and form the backbone of the next phase of the internet, and we believe that the returns on those kind of investments are unparalleled. Um, so we believe it's uh, a game worth playing. Um, and I guess one of the benefits of this asset class is that it also allows for a degree of liquidity. So we are long-term investors. We, as I said, we look at our investments in ten-year cycles, and often our vesting of our holdings, certainly from the advisory part of the business, invest um, alongside the founders for anything up to you know, three to five years. But along the way, we are afforded the degree of liquidity. And because we are often the first investor in, um, we, we, we make very good returns uh, at every stage of liquidity. And therefore, we are able to take some of that liquidity, reinvest it back into the platform. And so it's actually a really great business model. In that, you know, we are we are unlike phones. As a business, we are a profitable business. We've been profitable um, uh, for the last two years in a row, and this year will be no different, despite the crypto winter and everything else. So um, we've kind of happened upon a really rare opportunity to have a highly profitable business uh, in the short term, but also one that can unlock. Um you know venture yield that if we're right, could be unparalleled.
1: what is coming down the pipe for the rest of twenty nineteen and and even into next year for you all
2: so we're by virtue of our thesis, which is is called the convergence thesis, so that is the convergence of distributed ledger technology with things like i o t the hardware layer. Um, up to you know big data and data marketplaces, and then increasingly machine learning and AI. Um, th- this kind of combination of technologies effectively forms what we call a new data economy. And um, that new data economy allows for new forms of peer-to-peer value exchange, um, but in a way that is protective uh, to sovereignty. Sovereignty of an individual, But most interestingly, um, that peer-to-peer value exchange is also highly relevant, we believe, to the machine-to-machine economy. And so that's where a lot of our focus goes, is how can distributed ledgers and tokens which form incentives and disincentives help coordinate the machine-to-machine economy and effectively allow for increasing levels of autonomy to be... Uh, devolved to digital representatives. And so we just announced a partnership um, about a month ago with Smart City Dubai, where we're looking at creating several uh, decentralized data marketplaces uh, to train algorithms. So, you know, startups lack data, um, and often people that have lots of data, like governments or or even large organizations, um, they lack data scientists, they lack machine learning experts. So, by them, you know, opening up their data in controlled ways to um, certain participants who can take that data, build a narrow intelligence to optimize for whether it's mobility, energy consumption in the building. Um, uh, we can see this Cambrian explosion of innovation. And so, for us, it's very much centered around data, but within the context of the machine-to-machine economy and and how that could be tapped into. Um, by AI. So we've got several investments that we've advised, incubated that are all coming to the market. Um, Either they've launched test nets or live nets and centered around this data economy. So Ocean Protocol um, is looking at creating data marketplaces to train algorithms. IOTO is an investment we made a couple of years ago, which is a protocol to enable uh, machine to machine value transfer um, across IoT devices. We have fetch.ai um, which is uh, looking at uh, allowing for um, autonomous economic agents to live on top of ledgers to carry out transactions on behalf of people, devices. Um, but I guess all of that is predicated on some really important principles that we believe are beginning to gain traction and where we have some positions. And one of those is uh, self-sovereign identity or SSI. Um, we have a, a project, we're involved in called the um, Sovereign Foundation, so that is S O V R I N, um, and they've built a protocol that allows for an identity layer native to the web, but that's not just for people but also devices and potentially bots. And so, if you think about most of the things that are wrong with the internet right now, is that we have to rely upon centralized parties to um, prove we are who we are and to allow us to carry out. Um, social activity or so-called peer-to-peer activity, but it's not peer-to-peer because it's mediated by Amazon or Facebook or eBay or Google. Um, And so they build an internet protocol. They've informed many standards feeding into um, the World Wide Web Foundation, Um, and they have growing adoption by partners like Microsoft, IBM, uh, IBM Hyperledged Indy, Cisco, Deutsche Telekom, um, where there will be this kind of new identity led to the internet. And I think that's the basis, because as soon as you've got decentralized identity covered, you can then unlock the true decentralized web. Without that, everything else has degrees of centralization. So um, that's kind of our, our big big focus for not just this year actually, but the next, next several years.
1: Wow, that is absolutely incredible. And Jamie, I'm so glad that you were here to join us today and share all the information uh, and updates with us. For anyone who is looking to either reach out or get in touch with your organization or with you, um, where's the best place to to go?
2: So if it's me personally and Twitter probably, so at Jamie247, the numbers, Um, and uh, if it's Outlier, um, it's outlierventures.io, but we're pretty much everywhere on Telegram, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, It's very easy to find us.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much again. A big thank you to CEO and founder of London Blockchain Venture Capitalist Outlier Ventures, Jamie Burke, giving us the time today to, to share all the exciting and interesting information that Outlier is up to. Jamie, come back again soon and uh, let us know how things are going the rest of the year.
2: Will do. Thanks for having me. All
1: right. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful day.
0: You've been listening to the Future Tech Edition of the Finding Genius Podcast. This podcast is information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed. Review us on iTunes or wherever you listen and subscribe today by going to futuretech.findinggeniuspodcast.com.